So good morning, everybody. Welcome to the first edition of Flex in the City. My name is Rachel Treese. I'm the CEO of FTS Global. Um, we are creating a podcast which is specifically designed for the financial services sector. We are going to be interviewing some fantastic leaders from right the way across the globe, really to tell us about their own journey, the companies they work for, and what they think will make financial services better. So I'm really thrilled that on this first edition, we have the wonderful Revel Wood with us. Um, good morning, Revel. Good morning, Rachel, and good morning all. And, and thank you for the opportunity, Rachel. I'm, I'm very honored and delighted to be here for the first recording. So thank you very much. For you're very welcome. So um, for all the listeners out there, Rebel, you're obviously South African. Um, you live in Luxembourg. Love to know a little bit more about your journey and how you, um, how you ended up in financial services and how you came to Luxembourg. Can you give us a... Um, certainly, Rachel, both by mistake. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, so, South African, so, probably not. <laughs> South African, probably not. So, so uh, yeah, uh, born born actually Zimbabwean, but as uh, I do tell people, I'm South African. Grew up South African um, from a, a mining family, mining middle class family, and um, yeah. So uh, after the military, uh, did my national service, and after the military, um, had uh, started my career as an entrepreneur, uh, importing jewelry from India, Thailand, and the UK, which is how I put myself through university, either working in bars and, and waitering uh, and running a small jewelry in import business. Wow. Um, um, I'm probably taking a step back, which is one of the things that uh, defined, I suppose, my character and mm. uh, avid passion for diversity inclusion. Uh, mm. This is a really important point. Um, I, I w was blessed with parents, although who are a middle-class mining family, uh, didn't agree with the apartheid system and sent my brother and I both to a mm. church school, which at the time in South Africa, if we'd have gone to a state school, it would have been white only. Uh, we went to a multiracial church school who actually, uh, Bishop Tutu was the dean at the time. Um, wow, was that, was that quite unusual at the time? It, it, it was, as is, I suppose, what would be called public schools in the UK or private mm. schools. Um, What's well, more for, I suppose, the affluent. Um, uh, so it was either uh, kids who had been disadvantaged who got sponsored. Uh, some, so we had some, um, you know, uh, local kids from uh, poorer backgrounds, but mostly it was for affluent families, uh, which is not the great side of it. But, but what was un unusual is to be in a multiracial school in, uh, in what was where we were in the south of Johannesburg. Mm. Uh, it wasn't always pleasant on the rugby field or uh, other, other uh, sporting events where, where we are seen as outcasts sometimes in, a, in right. apartheid South Africa. Um, then uh, two years later, I was in, in, in the military uh, uh, fighting for a white South Africa, which uh, you know, huge contrast at, at the time and defending. I didn't have the conviction of one of, uh, I won't mention him by name, but uh, one of uh, uh, our head boys who, as a conscientious objector, uh, was willing to go to prison for six years uh, for his beliefs. I, I unfortunately wasn't as strong in my conviction and did the two years military, but I didn't believe in the system at the time. Um, but what was important, which coming back to the story of diversity inclusion, during my school holidays, my, my parents did the same for my brother and I. Uh, they offered us, in addition to this uh, multiracial schooling, a ticket overseas to see how the rest of the world lives. At the age of 17, I got on a flight and went and backpacked around Europe 
to see you know uh, a, a more open society and in order to uh, do that trip they said you have to work for your own pocket money and uh, or travel money and uh, so I worked down a platinum mine at the age of 16 during my school holidays uh, and was able to achieve a job which I had to do some exams for I won't go into detail but at the age of 16 17 was able to attain a, a position that a, a, a 55 year uh, a black man couldn't get uh, and I could see at that young age the huge injustice of mm. uh, apartheid and discrimination so that's been a passion throughout my life and, I, and I'm avidly uh, against any form of discrimination but um, I suppose uh, defining moments carrying on um, I then realized my little jewelry business although great fun was a cottage industry mm-hmm. and, and not something I could take make a career out of um, and although had a passion for architecture and would have loved to have been an architect uh, during those apartheid years architects were out of work and my father said you know accountants are never out of work so um, I uh, pursued a career joining Coopers and Librand had a wonderful experience and uh, great uh, and, and I was blessed with great leaders in fact throughout my career I've been gr- blessed with great leaders and bosses but I had a uh, a bus there. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Tell me about tell me about that experience. Um, so, a chap, a chap called Paulo Flati, uh, yeah, of Irish descent. In fact, we were the, I was surrounded by a number of uh, Irish uh, uh, managers and, and bosses. But and we worked on um, the first listings of South African mines on the New York and London Stock Exchange, na- namely Rand Gold and Harmony. And um, and we realized too late we should have brought more into this project. Uh, we had to restate uh, financial statements from South African GAP into US and uh, UK GAP for these listings and restate those financials back 25 years, which was a huge task. Um, looking at the mine reserves, deferred tax, the way uh, income was recognized. And um, at one point, um, I was working 120-hour weeks uh, wow. with B&I uh, we, for, for about seven, eight months. Um, and like the military, uh, taught me how much you can endure without sleep and how much one can in, in, endure uh, as a team. Um, this, uh, this taught me, you know, uh, how much one... Can, can endure in terms of putting commitment into to a project. Uh, so what was it? I'm curious about his leadership style. What was it about his leadership style that was so special? Um, a, hard, a hard task manager. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I love the statement that I learned from him. Be, be hard on issues and soft on people. And he was always hard on issues. And, and, and we had a project to deliver and we did. And, uh, mm. and But what... He was always, uh, what characterized me about him was, um, uh, you know, uh, he he had the benefit of of physically being uh, an impressive man. He played rugby and so, but but he led by example. He he never left me there alone. I remember one morning we were uh, in his office on a Sunday morning having worked, uh, you know, uh, 17, 18 hour days the whole week and was... Uh, 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning, having worked right through Saturday. And um, tensions were fairly high. We were tired. Uh, things weren't going well. 
uh, and I won't use the explicit. He was complaining about my my model that I'd created, passing back and, and saying this is a rubbish model. And I said, well, if you and we got quite tense, and if you'd planned this better and got more resources, resources, and we got quite tense, and he just stopped and said, I think we should go get some beers, and and we just stopped exactly there, went down, and and he could sense when uh, you know you needed time, and. And just a small example, he then tried to get the partnership at the time to, to uh, when I was leaving to pay, or mm -hmm. at the end of it to pay uh, some uh, recognition. recognition. Uh, and because I was an article clerk, there was a, a policy that no special bonuses were paid, etc. And he made a contribution out of this. He, he wrote a personal check. Uh, and not, it wasn't about the personal check or the money, but uh, he also made it very clear uh, to the organization and, and didn't take the, the light himself or, 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 or stood in the spotlight himself. He always ensured that that was shared equally, although he had put in a lot more effort in the end as a, as a partner. Mm. So very impressive. Um, and, and, you know, not trying to take the limelight for others' work. Um, so Rebel, tell, tell me how you, you moved from South Africa to, to Luxembourg. How did that journey unfold? So in in ninety eight um, there were fifteen of us uh, who left Coopers who wanted to really just go and get some international experience, uh, have some fun, mm -hmm. uh, and so we moved to London and uh, you know, uh, a city where it never sleeps, lots of fun, and as uh, young qualified chartered accountants uh, at a time, you know I think I arrived on a Thursday afternoon. By Monday morning, I was working. Uh, in a contracting job. It was just a, a very prosperous time in, in London and lots of fun. Uh, started off uh, contracting, worked um, uh, at Schroeder's uh, for a couple of years, Dresner, um, and, and, and actually met my wife. And, uh, it, uh, and this uh, is a great European story. Uh, I consider myself a European these days, not, no longer South African. But, um, so yeah, we met at Dresner, uh, Kleinwald Benson, uh, a German bank, Irish woman, South African chap, living in London, uh, so uh, and now have two two kids born in, in in UK English kids. So you know, truly international. But um, but what then? Uh, and I had some luck and, and not, no foresight. Uh, at, uh, at the age of twenty eight or so, I looked around. Everyone my age in London had a a, a car and a flat. I had a backpack, student loan, and lots of happy travel memories. Um, and decided I need to be, become serious and 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 get focused on a career. And so um, I uh, um, needed to, uh, I wanted to get on the property ladder, December 99, I, again, fortuitous and luck, not foresight, uh, sold all my dot-com shares to put down a deposit on a house and took a role at Bank of New York in a new industry. And that was really what was you know, probably one of the foundations mm. to my success because and I've told the story many times to, to younger uh, folks who've joined organization because there's often this uh, seeming revolving doors appetite just to get a, another job with an mm. increase in salary. Um, and at that time, moving from contracting, I took a 40% cut in salary uh, to because I was getting pigeonholed as a chartered accountant or an accountant in fund accounting, which, which was great at the time, but uh, wanted to do something slightly broader. Mm. Um, in fact, I was a terrible accountant. I'm far better generalist. <laughs> um, and, and so um, 
went into a new industry at Bank of New York. They were working on their first, what is called investment operations outsourcing or business process outsourcing lift outs. Um, State Street had done the first deals at the end of the 19s with PIMCO. Mm-hmm. And I was just very, very fortunate to get into uh, the first deals that Bank of New York worked on. Uh, JP Morgan Fleming, they'd ha- had some acquisitions of legacy systems, RBSI, Julius Baer, Sockgen. And so I ran a middle office accounting team uh, um, in the days when middle office outsourcing was in its infancy. Um, mm. And so I did that for until September 2004, where I was headhunted to go to, to Northern. But again, that was really just fortuitous that I got into industry and with then four years of experience in a five-year-old industry was considered experienced and um, and um, and had you know again I just came back to leadership and uh, mm. bosses. I had a wonderful, wonderful uh, boss there who'd been seconded in from from New York, um, and just an incredible man in terms of how he could bring people together. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, some of those lift out projects were incredibly intense, um, and um, and 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 so the the you know the workload was high. But how he could bring the human side, just simple things by coming in and checking checking on you, patting you on the back, saying some kind words, bringing in popcorn in the mornings, etc. So, yeah, and so that, would you say that those skills that you experienced with those those leaders in that period are still relevant now for millennials? Very much, very much. And it comes back to that same phrase I used earlier. I, I think leaders often today uh, confuse or mix. Um, the uh, And back to that key phrase that I, uh, I try to mm. use regularly, hard on issues, soft on people. Leaders don't necessarily always want to bring out the issues or, or, or expose uh, risks and concerns. And, and don't, uh, if you don't create an environment where, uh, again, back to diversity inclusion, where people mm. feel safe to express their concerns, raise issues uh, and put them on the table, and then you deal with the issues and don't mix it with emotion and personal, uh, you know, don't personalize it. Um, And then make sure uh, on the other side, on the personal aspect of it, that you you, you value people, you you trust people, you empower them, you give them uh, the freedom and ability to do their jobs with trust. And Mm -hmm. and when they make mistakes, you know, point those out in a constructive way. Avoid a blame and and exposing people in public, mm. uh, as as I've seen, uh, <clears throat> off, off too often in in our industry, um, and and by doing that, you build people's confidence, you build their trust, and you uh, and typically they come to work more motivated and uh, and empowered to 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 do you know to do great absolutely. things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So before we talk about your new venture, which I'm very keen to keen to talk about. Um, you, you, I'm, I've been really interested in your story, Revel. Um, I'd like to ask, um, what, what would you describe your, are your core values? You clearly are, have very clear core values. What, what are they? Yeah, so, so one, and, and this is an odd one to put out first, uh, but I, it's probably in the forefront of my mind in that I've, I've learned a little bit of, of this again over the last nine months from a, a recent experience, is humility. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, finishing off the story, I came to uh, at Northern. I became the global head of derivative product by, mm. by, by luck and fortuitous, and um, and then with Northern moved to Luxembourg as a, M, a deputy MD, uh, and then was fortunate to be appointed CEO of RBS, and and then took that and grew it and uh, under Fundrock, and you know we grew four times in two and a half years, expanded into new markets, and you start to think. Well, I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm 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 pretty fantastic at what I do, and and uh, and then events that happen that change that and 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 bring back some humility. And I think humility is an important thing. And I don't think there's enough of that in the financial industry. You know, recognizing um, that we, we sometimes our, our success is not our own, but um, but those around us who, who the teams that support us. The industry that support us, the clients that value, put their value and mm. uh, trust in us, um, uh, uh, and sometimes we lose ourselves thinking how great we are. Where you know it's 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 uh, down to uh, a team effort. Um, so um, and then uh, you know some of the other things that are probably coming out there is you know I passionately believe in team. Uh, I passionately believe in in uh, uh, equality and and. Um, um, uh, treating all fairly. Uh, uh, back to the point of, uh, I loathe any form of discrimination, and sadly, there is still discrimination. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's class, whether it's what schooling system you went to in certain mm -hmm. fields and industry, and particularly in the front office areas in London mm -hmm. and New mm -hmm. York or Paris, um, you know, rather than talent and ability. Um, so. Uh, you know, uh, it's a number of things, but and, and what's also important and increasingly important as somehow as I get older is is a family and, and respecting those that are around us to ensure that there's proper balance uh, and um, and you know uh, something actually Rachel I'll call out that you've taught me and, and you've given me a lot of support you know uh, and I really appreciate it particularly over the last few few months is that getting uh, taking a step back. I found myself working way too hard, way too many hours, and, and taking a step back and getting that balance, that family time, uh, time with friends. Um, so, you know, there's a number of things that come out there. You, know, you don't have good, uh, good family relations and good uh, friend relationships unless you are loyal, you're trustworthy, you're honest, you have integrity. I think those things all come through by simply... Uh, ensuring that you, you 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 value your friends and family. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're now at a very exciting juncture of your life. Um, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, One Group. Could you tell the listeners and, and me a little bit more about One Group? Who are you? What do you do? What's different? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, it's it's very exciting, and and uh, you know uh, we're doing a number of things differently. But what what drove me or inspired me to do this was one a yearning uh, back to my early days of uh, the jewelry business. I often stated and have said that my greatest failure in life was becoming a chartered accountant because it, caught, it uh, destroyed any uh, aspirations or uh, to be. You know, or I got too comfortable to 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 be, be an entrepreneur. And the second thing I'd say is, 
Um, uh, I have great admiration for those who've done it in our fields uh, before, entrepreneurs like Martin Vogel or John Donahue. They, you know, they, uh, I have huge admiration for, for those who've done it before because uh, it, it wasn't as easy and simple as setting up a jewelry business and a stand and then uh, <laughs> setting up a, a regulated financial business. But uh, so, um, first of all, quickly, what what is the business and why we set it up, and then um, and then how how I think we we want to be different. So the the business is uh, one one group solutions and one group. Uh, someone said we should have called it four because uh, it's actually four business lines. So we've got uh, one fund management, a, a, a third party mm-hmm. AFIM and Manco business, uh, one corporate, which is a, a corporate uh, solutions business doing. Uh, corporate secretarial, domiciliary, uh, and directorships. Uh, uh, we don't offer the directorships. We will partner with others. Um, the third is a, a regulatory compliance consulting, so one regulatory. And the fourth, and probably most exciting for me, is one one technology, where we're building technology for ourselves, but we'll be selling that to, to other fund management companies, primarily focused on the governance and fund management space. Mm. Um, and what differentiates us, we, we're talking about uh, next generation and uh, evolutionary business. We don't want to be the disruptor and cause chaos, but we want to evolve quickly with the industry. And there's a lot mm. of evolution in the industry with new regulation. And how, how we see ourselves as next generation, I suppose there's three primary points. So, And not necessarily in this order, but one is technology. So we've partnered with Metrosoft and built a, 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 a what I believe a truly market-leading technology uh, for governance in in the fund management space. Two is um, we've had the the uh, absolute blessing of being able to not have to go out and hire people, uh, but we've had so many people approach us, and um, we've been able to handpick, select a very talented team of individuals who are a bit disillusioned with uh, the way Mm. the industry has gone and organizations and hierarchies. So I'll come back to that in terms of culture and how we're different. Mm. But we've got a little bit of a a Google Garage startup story. And I don't know, I think those those guys and those fintechs, the Amazons, the, uh, the Googles have done incredible work, but and on a much, much smaller scale. But we've had people working pro bono who've uh, resigned from their roles um, with, based on trust, without contracts in place, who've just wanted to come and help build this. And it's just given us a great culture of a desire yeah. to build something that we're all proud of. And then the third thing is... Um, um, uh, uh, process uh, uh, and, uh, and culture so you know uh, not bogged down by hierarchies bureaucracies we have no titles um, this, is, this will sound odd for uh, listeners uh, no, no reporting lines other than for regulatory purposes uh, conducting officers and directors uh, uh, and empowering people to be self managed and, uh, and again that has created a, 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 a unique atmosphere, which I, I, I believe for the younger generation, and, and I, I can't talk because I've got gray hair and I'm an older generation, I'm <laughs> starting to sadly say, but, but you know, I, I, I think we can be very different in terms of um, the way 
we uh, are, operate and the culture we have internally and therefore how we impact those that we interact with, whether it's the clients, uh, our industry partners, etc. Uh, I think that's going to make a big difference for us. Very good. I'm going to have to press pause because my... Um, so Ravel, that sounds really, really exciting. It sounds like a teal organization. Is that, was that your vision when you uh, decided to, to go that direction? Uh, ashamedly, I, I have to confess, no, because I'd never heard of Teal until about five months ago. Uh, okay. And, and uh, our business partner um, and, and a, a fantastic uh, leader, uh, Janusz, who, who started Metrosoft, and again, it's someone I admire who did it himself, an entrepreneur, uh, uh, who uh, we're partnering with to develop our technology. Um, we went out and we've got a, a big team in Krakow. Their, their business is US-based. So they work with very large TAs predominantly. But um, th they introduced us to this concept of Teal. Uh, and um, we, we all, uh, and, I, and I haven't done this justice, I, I should really bring in my business partner, co-founder, uh, Steve Benar and I. So mm. Steve and I, who set up this, the business, um, uh, and uh, is, has a long-standing relationship with Janusz and Microsoft. Uh, and let me just touch on that, just uh, if I may. So Steve and I, uh, for those who don't know Steve or I, um, Steve was the CEO of Khan uh, locally mm -hmm. until, until recently, and um, so we were fierce competitors, and uh, and it was quite unusual for uh, uh, two fierce competitor CEOs of. Uh, probably the two most successful management companies in Luxembourg, uh, to, in the background, uh, have built a friendship over many years. It started uh, at the Fund Forum where we were paired up uh, at a, a KPMG uh -huh. Betonk event and, and we, <laughs> we somehow won the event and we jokingly said, well, if we can win Betonk, imagine what we could do in the industry. And here we are seven years later, wow. uh, warming up and, and, and building the business. And, uh, and, and Steve has a unique... Uh, capability and I have not seen it often to the extent that he can do it of really building trusted long-term relationships and and one of those trusted relationships was with uh, Metrosoft the founder of Metrosoft Janusz and, and the team at Metrosoft and, and so they've uh, been very supportive and gracious as they've helped us build the technology um, some of the, uh, a lot of the work to date has been pro bono, but we're formalizing this joint venture with them. But um, they, uh, we went out, and, and that's where we first saw this concept of teal, which I'd never heard of. And um, we had, as I started saying, some frustrations. Uh, I've worked in many big corporates, and, I, and I've been blessed with great organizations. But over time, one starts to see some of the inefficiencies of, uh, and, and they needed when you, the larger you get, of course, you need. Uh, corporate structures and reporting lines and hierarchies, but but we 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 uh, so we, we'd got a bit uh, kind of tired of, of that environment and and that's the need to build something ourselves and small and uh, entrepreneurial and agile, and then we've discovered this teal concept and, and just really uh, fell in love with it and uh, the idea that you really empower people. Uh, without you know the need for titles what's interesting uh, is mm. is the industry doesn't accommodate it so go and try register for any event uh, I won't name any but any event uh, and the the mandatory field you have to put in as a title so so the industry one is forced to then go back to titles so we've uh, because everyone will have uh, ownership in the business we've just decided on a, a generic 
title, title of partner. Uh, everyone in our firm will be a partner of the firm, uh, uh, and and therefore we have something to fill those boxes. That to fill the box, absolutely. Yeah, to fill the box. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Revel, you know, um, I think you and Steve are going to be phenomenally successful. Um, what I'd love to ask you is, you know, if you could wave a magic wand or, or if you had a wish for the financial services industry, what is the one thing that you think would be a game changer to really um, improve the, the whole industry? So, so I, I th think the f very first thing, and I've said this a number of times through my leadership positions when I took on roles at, at RBS and Funrock and, uh, and, and, and you know, communicated to the broader team, I think sometimes we, we, we get ahead of ourselves and we forget why, why we're here. And this might, might apply more to the management company, but I think it could be generic across the industry. Um, you know, we've got people's livelihoods. I think, the, let me come back. One of the most difficult things for me in, in what we do is you don't see the end result of what you produce. So an architect, going back to this desire to have been an architect, you know, you can see the output of your labor. There's a beautiful building or mm. something that's constructed. But, but in financial services, we don't see the output. But, and worse still, um, I think we've forgotten uh, in, often why we're here. And we forget that there's hard people's working livelihood uh, you know, the miner who goes down the mine or the, the, the factory worker or the, or the fire department or, you know, the doctors that keep people alive, they're putting their monies, their, their savings away in pensions or, 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 or bank accounts, but if they, if the, many of them have pensions. And that those pensions, are, that money that's put in those pensions is, is uh, uh, managed by uh, asset managers, uh, portfolio managers. And, and then there's a whole suite of people like ourselves, the, the, the manco who looks after and does oversight and control, and then the central admins, etc. And And sometimes I think we forget that there's, that client at the end of the day, who one day will retire and, and livelihood depends on us. And then you've got these Nick Leesons and Jerome, who, who the greed factor comes in, they do a horrendous trade and they wipe out not only millions, billions. And, and, and it seems to be, it's not okay. I mean, the regulators are all over it, but we somehow still don't recognize the important role we have to, mm. to protect uh, and enhance people's livelihoods in, in the golden years and, and or, or even if it's for fun to put a child through university or whatever it may be. Um, I sometimes don't think we, we see, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 what we actually doing. Uh, it, sometimes it's simplified into shiny adverts, champagne and events and, uh, and ourselves all patting ourselves on the back, uh, how wonderful we are. But, but do we really focus on, on that end investor or, or, or person uh, who's, in, in, you know, I ended up being the, the, the two worst things that my brother could have ever imagined, an accountant and a banker. And the fact that I, I try to explain that I, I don't know much about banking, although I work for a bank of Scotland, bank of New but, 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 you know, and, and, but those folks sometimes, they, they don't uh, have a, 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 a good pre, uh, well, a, a good perception or, or of, of what we do in the financial industry because I don't think we've always done ourselves favors. I think that's probably fairly negative. On a positive, um, there has been a lot of regulation. Mm -hmm. I, th I think things are, are improving. I, I think the industry connects more and more 
with the millennials and uh, and the next generation through apps through uh, you know uh, it's great the way you know um, I bank with BGL that you, you can pay over the, through the phone and and it's just becoming far more efficient and, and uh, although there's still inefficiency I think there's a lot of work to make the industry more efficient um, that there's less risk of these you know these uh, greedy individuals being able to do uh, you know uh, to, to, to do horrendous trades and, uh, and over trade um, and so you know I think the industry has improved significantly since the financial crisis. Mm. Mm, thank you, Raoul. You're definitely speaking my language. So before we conclude, I have one really, really important question for you. And that is, what is your prediction for the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup? Oh, that's And is it down to leadership? <laughs> and is it down to leadership? <laughs> it's definitely down to, to leadership. And, and if you look at um, the All Blacks, uh, the arch enemy of the, uh, the Boca, or the arch rival, should I say, arch rival of the Boca, I mean, the All Blacks, uh, have just a, an incredible uh, 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 value system uh, and leadership, and, and I, I just unfortunately I should have uh, remembered the book uh, that was written. But and there's great stories how after the last World Cup they've won the final uh, and they go back uh, and they clean the stalls. The the, the players themselves aren't too proud to leave it to someone else to clean up after them, and then went out to celebrate. Uh, and so when they put on the, that jersey, you know, they represent their country. And I, and I think in all sports. And, and so uh, my prediction is, uh, I think the strongest two teams, uh, most likely on paper, are the All Blacks and, and, and England. Uh, my, my wish is for, for the Boca, the South Africans, to, <laughs> to somehow pull it off. Uh, uh, but or um, someone who hasn't won it before. Uh, uh, Japan would be great, uh, or Ireland, or, or one of the others that haven't won it before. But, uh, it's uh, what's really great is it's a wide open tournament yeah. this time, not dominated by the the, the, the three Southern Hemisphere uh, uh, teams. Uh, it's really anyone's uh, um, title on this occasion. Very good. Revel, thank you so much for being our first guest on Flex in the City. Um, we naturally wish you and Steve all the very best with your wonderful new venture um, at One Group. Thank you so much, Rachel. Really, and wishing you great success with Flex in the City. It's a great concept and great idea. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flex in the City. On our next episode, I'll be talking to Ian Holden, who is going to be talking to me about how financial services organisations can learn from the art of football. <laughs>